Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 12 of the Australian Hiker podcast. This is our bonus episode for January 2017 uh, and our second episode for the year. In today's episode, uh, you're going to be listening to um, a series of recordings I did on a a recent hike to Mount Bimbury in the ACT. Normally, this hike is considered a three-day hike, uh, approximately 53 kilometres, 54 kilometres in length. Um, and it's a hike that has quite a lot of steep inclines um, and to a lesser extent declines involved in it. I'd gone through and planned to do this hike in the day before Christmas 2016 for a number of reasons. Firstly, I thought uh, weather-wise it was going to be, um, it had been a fairly hot forecast for over the Christmas period, and I thought the, uh, the day before Christmas had the best weather forecast. It wasn't going to be anywhere near as hot. And they'd forecast to be a bit of cloud cover as well, which was also going to reduce the heat. Uh, And as it turned out, it was probably the best day I could have picked over that holiday period. Now, in our previous podcast, we talked about why people hike. And one of the things I went through and discussed was bordering on the the realms of extreme hiking or, if you want, crazy hiking. Uh, and doing a 54-kilometre hike in one day probably falls into that sort of category. Now, for me, doing this hike was for a number of reasons. Firstly, just because. Um, I like hiking. I want a day off. I enjoy hiking by myself. Uh, I knew this hike fairly well. And um, I wanted to, to go through and test my abilities to see if I could actually do this sort of distance in one day. Now, partly this was just to see what my abilities were at the moment, but also that over the next six to eight years, I have a series of long-distance hikes planned. Uh, And when I'm talking about long-distance, I'm talking about hikes that are 600, 700,000, 1,500, 2,000 kilometres long. Uh, And for me, this is a bit of a long-term planning process to see exactly how far I am actually capable of going through and doing in one day uh, and whether I can back this up in, re- in following days. In the short term, the reason for me doing this hike is um, I'm looking at doing the Oxfam Trail Walker next year, 100 kilometres in 48 hours, uh, and realistically, uh, it would be two days put together uh, of the Mount Bimbury hike. So this was just a tester to see how I would cope with it. In the shorter term, I plan on doing the Centennial Trail, which is Canberra's longest trail, uh, 145 kilometres, and I'm planning on doing that in three days. Um, I'll see how I go with that. It may take a bit longer. It may take three and a half to four days, but I've got the time available if need be. But certainly this trip trip is, uh, or the Centennial Trail is a lot flatter, um, so I've, uh, I've done a third of the, the trail in the past, uh, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's much easier to move much quicker, uh, than it would have been or it is with the memory walk.
I hope that you find this podcast interesting. Um, even if you're not as uh, as extreme uh, as as what I did on this day, this still is a very good three day hike. So if you listen to this as a three day hike. Uh, and work out what has to be done, it'll give you a good indication of what, what this hike is like in itself. It's just on uh, 4.30 in the morning, um, day before Christmas 2016. I'm just in the car park at a rural valley. Uh, I've just uh, had a, a, a quick breakfast of uh, overnight oats. Um, and I'm just going to use the the toilet facilities before I start heading off my walk. Sunrise is going to be in roughly about um, 45 to 50 minutes uh, and certainly it'll be, it'll be light well and truly within around about um, 40 minutes. The first part of the uh, the walk to, to Mount Bimbury um, is, is along a, a service road or a fire trail um, and that'll uh, that, that's approximately five kilometres before I turn off, uh, actually up onto the, uh, the the wilderness track itself. Uh, and by that stage, it'll be uh, be well and truly uh, light. Uh, looking forward to a, a long and challenging sort of day. Um, and the reason for the early start is. Uh, um, they've forecast 30 degrees today, 30 degrees Celsius, so it's going to be a warm sort of day. Um, uh, so uh, try and make the best of the, the cooler weather uh, beforehand. Just a uh, just a bit about the, the car park here at uh, Aurora Valley. Um, this was actually part of the tracking station for the Apollo space programs. Uh, it's been deactivated now, uh, so there's just the remains of um, of what the facility used to be uh, with some some interpretive signage. Um, but what it has done is provided quite a decent sized bitumen car park. Um, there's good toilet facilities. There's actually a number of walks that, that uh, um, come from here and we'll do some of the shorter walks uh, over the next few months and, uh, and do reviews of those. I've been uh, walking for a little just over five minutes now. I've just come up to the, uh, the main access trail, fire trail, that runs through this, uh, this park area. Uh, it's about 400, 500 metres away from the car park. Uh, if you go straight ahead, you end up end up going up to a walk known as Granite Tours which is a series of uh, a very large boulders up the top of the hill um, but I've turned right onto the trail now so my next turn off is approximately in five kilometres um, uh, and it's a I must admit the first time that I ever did this walk I was really paranoid about missing the turn because all I'm really looking for is a, a wooden sign post with a yellow marker arrow and if you miss that you're not going to get lost but you're just going to end up uh, doing a very long circuit back to where you started from again. Um, the sun's starting to uh, um, make itself known. It's still fairly dark, it's still night but you can see a bit of bit of light glow over the over the hills uh, just to the uh, behind me. Um, and even as I'm heading heading towards uh, towards my destination, um, you can see it's starting to lighten up. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. I uh, 
I've never actually done this walk at this time of the day before. Typically I'll always tend to start, uh, leave home probably around about 7 o'clock, get here. It takes about an hour's drive to get here. Um, and I find that uh, normally I'm starting the walk sort of by the time I get here and get sorted out, it's about 8.30. Uh, you know, it's pretty much full daylight. Um, all the kangaroos are, are looking at me quite strangely, thinking, what on earth are you doing here at this time of the day? Um, and, uh, you know, the bird life is still a bit muted, but it's starting to become more and more noticeable in the background. I've been walking for uh, just on uh, an hour now um, and I've gotten to the to turn off from the uh, the actual uh, road or fire trail itself um, onto officially the Australian Alps walking track. Um, the track is um, distance wise according to my GPS 5.84 kilometres so certainly that's going to vary give or take depending on the accuracy of the GPS, but it's probably reasonably close. Um, I'll post a picture of what the, the turn-off looks like. Um, certainly, as I mentioned before, the first time we did this, it was really a worry that had we gone too far, had we missed it, and it, it, is, just a, it is just a wooden post on the left-hand side of the road for the yellow arrow. Um, once you actually know where it is, it's very easy to spot, but it would be so easy to walk past if you weren't paying attention or you were talking and, and not looking at what you were doing. Weather's pretty good now. It's, um, I'm starting to sweat a bit more because of the, the pace. I'm averaging just over five kilometres an hour uh, in total, and that's including breaks. Uh, and I was trying to average four kilometres an hour, so I'm doing pretty well. Having said that, the next four kilometres... Um, I've got about a kilometre of flat ground and then I've got a very steep incline. So that will certainly slow me down on, the, on this, this part of the leg. Looking like a good day. Um, I was actually hoping to record a lot of the bird sound and you might be able to hear some of it in the background. But certainly around about half an hour ago it was really noisy with all the birds waking up and, and chirping. Uh, I think most of them are obviously gone off and started to feed already so it's quietened down a bit. It's um, not, uh, 6.44, I've been going just on two hours now uh, and I've done 9.63 kilometres. I've just come up the top of the first fairly steep hill, the first of three, and unfortunately it's not the, the steepest, that's the next one uh, uh, in a few hours time. Um, one of the things I, that came to me over the last hour was um, I really do enjoy this, uh, this walk. Um, I tend to use it as a, um, or at least part of it, as a, uh, a shakedown hike if I'm trying out new gear or trying to build up fitness. Partly because the only way you can describe this is, is almost a bit soul-destroying in some respect. That um, you go up, you go up, you go up, and you think, yep, you're getting there, and then you come down. And you keep on going down, and you keep on going down, and then you go up again, and then you keep on going down. So... Uh, this, this trip to Mount Bimbri and back is really a, a trip of two halves. Uh, on the way to Mount Bimbri, the vast majority of it is spent going up. Uh, but as I said, there's a lot of it also going down that you've got to make back up again. The return trip 
Um, this is the fourth time I've done this trip in the last couple of years. The return trip is faster, probably by about an hour and a half or two hours, because you've only really got one up section, uh, and that's um, nowhere near as steep as the, the three up sections on the way over. Um, so it's, um, it's a, a much easier sort of trip on the way back, and I think partly it's also because when you when you're heading back home you, you've got you've got an end point you know you're you're heading back to the car or you're heading home and i think you just tend to focus on that and just get on with it um the what the sun has only really just broken over the top of the mountains now i've been sort of in valleys um they have forecast rain um and a possible storm for this afternoon which is going to be really lovely uh, I have got wet weather gear and I've got um, I've certainly got warm enough gear that if for whatever reason I get caught out here and and for for any reason I have to spend the night out here I'm uh, while I don't have a shelter I've certainly got enough warmth to keep me keep me comfortable and safe. Um, I will keep on going now. It's five past six. I've been going for around about three hours and twenty minutes now. Uh, and I've done just on um, 16 kilometres, so I've got about another 10 kilometres to go to uh, the top of Mount Bimbury. Um, I'm at Cotter Flats at the moment. Um, normally when we do this as a, uh, an overnight hike, we take it a bit slower, uh, and it'll take probably um, about five and a quarter hours to get here, and that's including a lunch break along the way because we start a bit later. But yeah, it's only 8 o'clock, so really we've got, a, got another four hours to go before it's lunchtime. Um, Cotter Flats is where we tend to go to camp when we're doing a, uh, just as I said, it's a normal overnight hike, and, and I tend to use this area as a, a shakedown hike because it's 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 quite good as far as sim or simulating just about any sort of hike on this part of Australia, um, and, it, and it, it provides a bit of exertion, a bit of up, bit of down, um, and there's plenty of water sources. One thing I did will mention with uh, water, uh, Cotter River is certainly the main water source and you may even be able to hear it in the background. Um, it's, uh, it's always running. Um, at the moment it's probably about 25 centimetres deep. So I just took my shoes off and um, walked across fairly smooth sort of stones. Um, I'll just let my feet dry for a few minutes and um, before putting the shoes back on and heading off again. Um, having crossed over the river, um, I'm probably around about um, 300 metres from a ranger's hut um, and um, under the, the regulations for this park area you're not supposed to camp within 500 metres of the hut uh, because understandably sometimes there are rangers there and they don't particularly want to have people camped outside their windows. Um, I must admit every time I've been here there's been people camping very close to the hut itself so it's, it's something that people tend to either not be aware of or just tend to ignore. The last time I did this walk was in um, March this year with Jill, and that was again as a shakedown hike, just getting ready for our Larapinta Trail trick, trip. Uh, we're trying out new uh, new sleeping bags and new tent uh, and new packs, so we just wanted to make sure everything worked well. Um, at that time, um, it was coming towards the end of summer, or was the end of summer, uh, into spring, uh, into into autumn. Sorry, into, into autumn, and. Um, there were quite a lot of fallen trees down on the trail. Uh, now most of those have been cleaned up now and probably the f for the first time since I've done this walk over the last three years they look like they've gone through and put a, a brush cutter through and, and trimmed all the grass along the trail itself. 
Um, I must admit I'm ple pretty pleased with that. Uh, in March when we came through this year, um, I was walking behind Jill. She startled a, a brown snake, which was uh, either sleeping or resting underneath a, uh, a, a tussock of grass. Uh, and it, uh, thankfully it chose the flight rather than fight mode. Uh, and then managed to actually shot across my feet on the way to get get away. So um, I'm glad that we uh, the grass has been cleaned up now. It's a bit easy to see what's there. And certainly um, the forecast, as I said for today, was 30 degrees. Um, but the cloud cover is coming in. Um, it's actually keeping a lot of that bite out of the uh, the sun. So um, it may still get that sort of temperature later in the day, but I think it's going to be uh, a bit cooler than they forecast. It's 9.34. I've um, just come up the, the second of the, in, the inclines for the day, and this is by far the worst one. Um, most gradients on walking tracks at worst are 1 in 10, usually about 1 in 20, so that's 1 metre in every 20. Um, one, 1 metre rise in, in altitude for every 20 metres in walking, uh, or better. Um, some of the sections I had on this incline were one and four, one and five, so there's no way you'd get any normal vehicle up here. Um, but since they're meant, meant for parks vehicles, which are four-wheel drive, that's not an issue. Um, but it's a really hard climb, so I'm just having a little bit of rest up the top. When we first came up here a few years ago, uh, I'm sitting probably about 15 metres from where we camped. Um, we didn't have the stamina at that stage to uh, get to the campsite at uh, Murray's Flat. Um, uh, and certainly uh, this is a, a nice protected sort of area. Um, I'll talk about Murray's Flat, which is uh, at the start of the um, the rise or the ascent of Mount Bimbury, which is the last climb I've got for uh, this section at least anyway. Um, and... Um, um, so as I said, it's probably around about, I've got about a kilometre and a half, two kilometres to go to Murray's Gap. So I'll have, have a talk about that then. Just as a bit of uh, follow-up on that uh, that last recording there, um, I'm really not joking when I say the uh, the incline is one in four. Uh, I've got a fairly good uh, spatial awareness. Um, um, it is very, very steep for a very short section. It's about a 32 metre section where it does rise about eight to nine metres. Um, and if you have a look on the, uh, the, the, the website, I've actually gone through and put the, uh, a little uh, diagram showing the altitude change. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's not too bad when you're, uh, when you're doing it as a, as a day hike, uh, and you're not carrying a heavy pack. But if you're doing this as an overnight trip, um, one of the recommendations is to actually camp at Murray's, uh, Murray's Gap. Uh, and if you've got a, a fairly loaded sort of pack, um, it's a hard way to finish the end of the day. It's 12.26. I'm at the summit of Mount Bimbury. I've been here probably for about 15, 20 minutes or so. Um, so just on 26.36 kilometres. And I'm at an elevation of 1918 metres. Um, so far, my overall average, including brakes for speed, is 3.4 kilometres per hour, uh, which is less than I actually wanted. 
But having said that, I know that um, the trip over here is slower because I've got three fairly steep inclines. Going back, I've got one, and it's nowhere near as steep as the one what I've had on the way over. Had an interesting last couple of hours um, since I last last spoke. Um, I came up into Murray's Flats, which is um, um, the area where they suggest to go through and camp in the guidebooks. And I must admit, it's not my favourite site. It's uh, it's a bit of a wind tunnel. Uh, this area does get snow in wintertime, um, which makes it worse. Um, and it's also a um, it's also a, a peat bog up here as well, a sphagnum bog. Uh, so this time, this is my I've been coming up here for three years now, um, and all the rain we've had this year, it's the wettest I've seen it. There's uh, there's no shortage of water. Um, and and but and, and as a result of that, it's also a lot of little little creek crossings I've got to go through and do, which is a bit annoying sometimes. Coming up into Murray's Flats, I went to the right rather than going to the left, and that put me through the middle of the, the sphagnum uh, bogs. That in itself wasn't an issue. What was an issue that I came around a bush and almost trod on a black snake that had its head in a hole. Um, looked like it was feeding or eating on something so thankfully I saw it backed off uh, managed to get some photos of it which I'll go through and post um, but um, here was I thinking oh this is good I haven't seen any snakes this time um, so again this trip and my last trip I've had snakes both times so uh, thankfully this one was only a, a red belly black snake um, and while they are poisonous they generally tend to only make you fairly sick but I certainly wouldn't want to be bitten by one. Uh, but you know, given the choice, I prefer the black snakes than the uh, uh, than the browns, which are also around here as well, and the tiger snakes. Um, that encounter with the snake, uh, as you can imagine, got the adrenaline going, um, and so I had a bit of adrenaline rush. Got out of there reasonably quickly, and then I had a real down as far as I just ran out of energy and it ran out of, uh, out of, out of steam. So, um, and the actual ascent up Mount Bimbury is fairly steep. Um, yeah, the last time I came up all the way up to the top of the Bimbury was three years, on three years ago. And um, um, the, um, there's been a lot of growth up to this season. Um, and as a result, the pathway, which is at, at any time is not particularly easy to find, is overgrown, and there's a lot of, um, a lot of fallen trees which you've got to make your way around. What, uh, what you need to do as far as navigating up Mount Bimbury, there's a series of rock cans that have been placed. So coming onto Murray's Flats, uh, you head towards the right-hand side, past the peat bog, and there's a, um, a, a rock with a small rock can on it, and that's the indication for the start point. No sign, just, you just got to know that that's the start. Coming up the hill, there, there's a series of little rock piles that have been placed all the way up, either on rocks or on, um, on trees. So again, reasonably easily find. The problem tends to be that when you've got to go around a fallen tree, you've got to find the rock piles and come back onto the trail again. So a couple of times I thought, hang on a sec, gone, couldn't find the path, had to go back again, see where I was supposed to be going. And, um, um, yeah, and that's, that's certainly the way to go is, you know, as soon as you think you're, you've gone the wrong way, go back to where you've, uh, you've, you know you, you definitely were right and then get, and retrack from there. Um, 
phone signal uh, is pretty limited on this walk. Really, I had phone signal. I had a, I was able to get text messages out um, a couple of hours ago, and that was it. Uh, Mount Bimbury, um, you have, it's, you've got really good views um, all the way over the mountain range, all the all, all the way for 360 degrees. So good phone signal. Um, so it's um, managed to call Jill and just let her know it was all okay. Um, and one thing I am doing on this trip, uh, last couple of weeks I bought a, a Spot 3. Uh, I've used that a couple of times, but this is the first real test of it. Um, so I'll do a write-up of that over the next uh, next couple of months as I have a, get into a good use of it to see how it goes. But it is handy, particularly when I'm doing the solo walks, um, and people and, and you know and my wife worries about me and wants to know how I'm going, but I can't contact. She can actually see how I'm going on the uh, on the um, the Spot Three uh, web page. Um, and it shows exactly how I'm going and where I am. So she says that's been quite good. All right, I'm just going to have a bit of lunch. I'm going to have a bit of a rest uh, before I start heading back. Back at, um, at Murray Flats, uh, Murray's flat now. Um, I'm back towards the top of the hill, so I've got a fairly steep uh, descent um, before I head to Cotter's flat, Cotter Flat. Um, had a reasonably good trip coming down the hill. Uh, from Mount Bimbury. One comment I would make is the stone pathway, and again it's natural stone, is um, a bit unstable on the way up and that's not too bad. Coming down it's a bit dangerous. Um, I had a lot of, lot of rock shift on me uh, and slide as well. Um, so you do need to take it. While I was moving faster than I was going up, I had to be really careful and I was grabbing onto trees as I went. Um, Came out through Murray's, Murray's Gap, uh, found the correct pathway to get out, and I realised why I didn't use it uh, last time. I had to end up uh, wading through about uh, 20 centimetres of water. Um, so, uh, there was just nowhere to step on or go around to avoid that. Uh, and I also came across another black, uh, red-bellied black snake as well. This one was a bit bigger, a bit longer. Uh, it was quite interesting. I saw him or her. Uh, and I thought I'd better get the poles out and start making some noise on the grass. Um, it stuck its head up, realised I was there, and then, then shot off into the grass. So, yeah, they're obviously out hunting uh, while the weather's warm. Um, I've never seen the red belly black snakes up here before. It's always been the browns. Um, but as I said earlier on, this has been a very wet year. Um, there is so much water up here compared to what I've been used to. Um, and um, you know, it, it means you can actually pick up water, and I'll actually do that. At, uh, or I'll top up my water at, uh, at the Cotter River. But um, uh, yeah, there's uh, having to wade through a number of um, shallow crossings, uh, and there's just you know, and sometimes there's just no no way you can avoid getting your feet wet. Um, but you know, I'm not getting any any sand or muck inside them, so they're they're going okay. I'll probably, I do have a spare pair of socks, I'll probably change into those um, once I've crossed Cotter River. Um, uh, just, to, just to keep the feet just a tiny bit drier. Just a bit of follow-up on those last two segments. Um, I suppose I first need to sort of clarify, I'm not, not being flippant about snakes. I mean, I, uh, I t tend to treat them with a fair amount of respect, but I must admit, if I'm going to uh, come across a snake, the red-bellied black snakes tend to be a bit more timid. 
Um, the Browns and the Tigers can be a bit uh, a bit aggressive, particularly if you, you end up treading on them. Um, so uh, um, I must admit, I'm always very cautious around snakes, um, particularly when I'm traveling on my own. Um, I mean, basically on this, this walk that I did, I didn't see another individual in the entire walk. I would have been the only person within a 20 kilometer uh, radius. So um, um, I, I was actually carrying a, um, a personal locator beacon and I also had the spot. So I had two devices I could have actually pressed for an emergency situation if I had have had any problems. One thing that, uh, as I said, that did surprise me with, uh, and I must admit, I, it, it, it is Murray's Gap. I keep on saying Murray's Flat. It's Murray's Gap is the, is the actual site. Um, the last time I'd actually come up here, it was reasonably dry. It was just after a drought period. Uh, and while the sphagnum bog was still moist, uh, there was nowhere near the level of water and um, nowhere near the infest, infestation of snakes uh, that there was this time. The black snakes were everywhere. Uh, and they're obviously after frogs and, and lizards and things that are in the grass. Um, one of the things I found quite interesting was um, the snakes were actually traveling over the top of the grass. It's obviously a bit easier for them. Uh, but as soon as they saw me, they ducked in under the grass. So for all the ones that I did see, um, I was very, very focused on the fact that uh, there was probably a number of other snakes underneath the grass where I was walking. So um, as I said, once I started going up Mount Bimbri, I did actually lose a lot of uh, a lot of energy. Uh, just the, the adrenaline of having seen that snake was a bit of a shock to start with. Um, it had actually been quite a few hours since I'd had breakfast, although I had been eating, eating um, uh, fairly high-calorie snacks throughout the day. One of the things, and I'll talk about this in a later episode, is uh, for me, when I exercise, I lose appetite. Uh, for a lot of people, exercise, they want to eat. Um, for me, it's the opposite. And there is, uh, this is not uncommon with people who are uh, big exercisers uh, and, and, and a lot of high-level athletes, uh, uh, and you've actually got to force yourself to go through and eat. And I probably wasn't eating as much food as I should have been. Uh, and I'll talk a bit about um, calorie consumption uh, as a bit of a wrap-up for this sort of walk. It's um, 3.44. I'm just at um, Cotter Flats again on the way back. <coughs> I've just gone through and across the river, and I'm going to uh, change my socks. I don't know what it is about this place. Maybe it's all the kangaroos and the, the droppings around here, but the flies are really bad. Not the big flies, not the big March flies, but certainly the uh, uh, the smaller flies. Um, so I've been going since uh, uh, 4.45, so just on uh, 11 hours in total. And I was estimating somewhere between 12 and 15 hours, being realistic, probably 15 hours. And I think that's where I'm going to end up being. Um, currently I've done 37.08 kilometres. Uh, and I'm travelling at a, an average pace of 3.4 kilometres an hour. That's including lunch breaks and stops as well. When I'm actually walking, I'm averaging around about 6.5 kilometres an hour, but really I need to put the brakes into that. Um, so on the home run now, I've got an, an incline, but it's certainly the easiest incline of the day, uh, but it will time me out, there's no doubt about that. Then a decline, and then back onto the uh, the fire trail for the last five kilometres after that. 
so um, I'm getting there um, and he may hear I'm not too sure if it's uh, being picked up or not there is some thunder in the background um, they did forecast showers and possibly storms it's circling around uh, most of the areas it looks like it's starting to move over my direction so I may have to put the rain gear on in the next uh, 15 20 minutes half hour sort of thing that was actually the last recording I did on the trail um, it, uh, it took me around about three and uh, three and a half hours to get over to uh, Cotter Flat um, and it would actually take me uh, uh, a bit less time to get back uh, back to the car park at Auroral Valley um, but uh, before it actually I was just about to start walking away and it was very obvious the rain was going to come in very quickly so I sort of just stopped again uh, I changed into my wet weather gear uh, and then sort of started to, to walk back up again so it was a bit hard to sort of try and get the recorder out without getting it, it drenched that's reasonably robust but I don't like dragging it out in the middle of a rainstorm the rain itself wasn't too bad. It was sort of steady, um, but um, um, it was it was probably at that level where it was a bit annoying. It wasn't that heady where I could fully sort of rug myself up and sort of get into the the into the the mood of it being raining. It was sort of on again, off again, a bit of a shower, then a stop. So I had had all my zips and my uh, my jackets undone just to try and uh, cool it down a bit. I mean, I certainly didn't need the jacket for warmth. Uh, it was still fairly warm, but I just needed it to stop getting wet. The um, um, It was quite interesting. Um, when I got back to Canberra and talked to Jill, she said she was actually a bit worried uh, because we'd had one of the biggest storms we'd had all year in Canberra. Um, uh, it was very, very heavy rain, uh, very heavy uh, thunder and lightning um, so I, I, it, uh, certainly where I was, you could see the bigger storms that were skirting around the hills. So I think I managed to, I definitely managed to avoid what was happening sort of 30 odd kilometres away. I ended up getting back to the car uh, at Rural Valley at um, just on 7.30. So in total, the, the whole trip, the whole 53 uh, and some odd few hundred metres, ended up taking me uh, 14 hours and 45 minutes and I averaged around about 3.7 kilometres per hour. Um, uh, that's including all the breaks. I had about an hour's break up the top of Mount Bimbury and I had a number of sort of uh, rests and, and, and tea breaks uh, um, as I went. Certainly coming up the last hill um, from Cotter Flat, um, I was taking breaks probably about every 20 or 20 minutes or so uh, not from a point of view of exertion, just because I was getting quite hot with the rain gear on. Uh, as I said, it was just one of those sort of things where I needed the gear to keep uh, keep dry, uh, but it was actually making a bit a bit, bit overheated. So sort of having to take the brakes just to cool down a bit. Um, all up, um, as I said, the trip was uh, was quite uh, instructive for me. Um, um, I didn't doubt that I could actually go through and do it. Um, but trying to work out and trying to estimate how long I thought I would take. And as I said, I was estimating somewhere between 12 and 15 hours and did it just under the 15-hour mark. Um, on flat ground, I tend to move fairly quickly. But as I said, this, this is probably one of the most difficult walks in the Canberra region. And it is, the again, as I said, go through and have a look at the, uh, the, uh, the write-up on the webpage 
and I had a look at the inclines and declines. Uh, uh, the the closest to, to distance-wise I've done in the past has been 42 kilometres, and I found that quite easy because the, the ground was undulating, it wasn't steep. Uh, as I said, you know, you're picking up a thousand odd metres through the daytime a number of times. Um, so it's, uh, uh, from a training point of view, from a physical fitness point of view, um, this is probably one of the hardest walks that I've ever done. Uh, and that includes some of the stuff that I've done in the Himalayas. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's a very, very demanding sort of walk, but as I said, quite enjoyable. One of the things that I, I like about solo hiking is I can tend to, even though I'm focused on what's going on around me and I'm looking at the trail, I'm actually able to do that and I'm also able to actually go into my own head, if you like, and, and think. So throughout the day, uh, I had all sorts of ideas in relation to the podcasts uh, and, and write-ups for, for articles uh, in the future. Um, I solved the problems of the world, basically, um, and it's, uh, it was just nice to actually be in nature uh, with, with no disturbance whatsoever. I enjoy hiking with Jill, and we did talk about hiking as a couple in the last podcast, um, but certainly solo hiking has its own, own rewards and its own benefits as well. Um, but it just means that uh, you, your planning has to be very much spot on. Uh, you're probably very, uh, very focused on if something goes wrong, what's going to go through and, uh, and be your, uh, your out, uh, and, and when do you start calling for help. So I had to sort of think those things through. Discussing calories, um, again, I, um, I've, I've been wearing a, a Fitbit fitness monitor for, for a number of years now, uh, and I find it to be reasonably accurate when I compare my uh, calorie uh, usage as opposed to calorie intake. Um, all up for this day, I consumed, and that's including from when I woke up as well, um, but all up I consumed about 8,500 calories. Um, and as I said, it's pretty hard to actually physically carry that much food or consume that much food in a day. Uh, and again, I, I actually overpacked it with food. I bought too much with me. But again, it was a more, about, more an issue of if by some chance I had to overnight out there, I needed to make sure I had food for the night and the morning. Um, so I definitely had plenty of food left over. Um, it's, um, it's the sort of thing that, um, as I said, I will talk about it in further episodes. Um, sometimes you just need to force yourself to eat, um, and it's a matter of picking food that's easy to get down. It's fairly high in calories. So I actually had a, a small jar of peanut butter with me, which is uh, a nice calorie-dense sort of food. Uh, and it tends to uh, tends to be quite easy to, to to eat as you go. The other thing I mentioned as well was um, the the fact that I was carrying a Spot Three um, a device with me as well. Uh, and as mentioned, this is the first serious sort of walk that I've done with this. Um, and I I've already already own a um, a personal locator beacon, but really with the personal locator beacons, what they tend to do is. They're good in case of an emergency. You set it off, and eventually someone comes and picks you up. Uh, but if you're just trying to let people know how you're going, uh, this is where the Spot 3 comes into uh, its own. The Bimbury Walk, there is only one location that you, you can be guaranteed of getting phone signal, and that's on top of Mount Bimbury. Uh, otherwise, for the rest of the trip out and back, um, the people who are sitting at home wondering how you're going 
have to think about, um, uh, or have to sort of think and worry about how you're actually progressing. Um, I talked to Jill at lunchtime on the top of Mount Bimbury, and she said the the spot three was working quite well. She could see what I was actually doing. Uh, the little button that was moving along the trail uh, was progressing, uh, and she could see that I was actually going quite well. The afternoon, not so well, I suppose, because um, of all the big big thunderstorms that were around, um, and I was going through heavy trees at the, at the time, so. Um, Jill was saying that it, it appeared that um, I was sitting in one location of some 40 minutes. And I must admit, I did actually have a break for about 20, 25 minutes at one stage. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the, the spot would actually go through and put three new uh, locator marks on the actual map. So it was obviously that the storm was playing a bit of havoc with the uh, the satellite signal. Um, but it was a it's, a, it's quite a good device in that respect. If you've got people that are trying to keep track of you and know how you're going, um, this is a, it's a very good device for that sort of uh, respect. And as I said, I'll go through and do a review of that uh, in future. As I said, this Mount Bembry walk that I've just gone through and completed, it really is set up as a three-day walk. I've known friends that have done it in two days before. Um, three days is quite comfortable. As I said, the recommendation in the guidebooks is to camp at Murray's Gap. Um, I can't strongly advise not to camp at Murray's Gap. Um, typically, I would recommend camping at Cotter Flat. Uh, offload your tent, offload the bulk of your weight, um, and either carry a day pack or carry a much more light, lighter pack up the last two steep sections um, to do the Mount Bimbury component. Um, or if you're doing it as a, a three-day walk, you camp overnight at Cotter's Flat, uh, do you walk up to Mount Bimbury, come back down overnight again at uh, Cotter Flat, uh, and then the next day you're heading back home again. So it, it splits it up into three fairly manageable sort of chunks. Um, but as I said, it's uh, Murray's, uh, Murray's Gap. is It's a wind tunnel. Uh, it's not a particularly nice um, environment unless the weather conditions are really perfect. Um, and as I said, this time the whole place was just infested with, uh, with black snakes. Um, whereas a few years previously when I did it because it had been much drier, um, things were very different. Uh, and as I said, Cotter Flat is a much better uh, and much more enjoyable campsite. It's very well protected uh, and very good water sources. You don't have to sort of walk any distance to pick up water. As I mentioned at the start of the uh, this podcast, um, doing this walk, a 50, you know, 53-kilometre walk in a day is, is, is extreme. There's no doubt about that. Um, but as mentioned, um, I've got some long-term plans as far as, as far as through hiking is concerned uh, and needed to know what my limitations were and what I was capable of to be able to go through and plan for these longer walks. Um, and as an example, uh, looking at things, the big trails in, the, in America, the Pacific Crest Trail and the Appalachian Trail, it's not unusual to do 30-mile days, which is just on roughly around about the 50-kilometre mark. Uh, so this was a, a good indicator of um, can I manage to do those sort of distances if necessary. Um, and this will make, uh, for future planning processes, this will certainly make it uh, much easier to be able to say, well, yes, I am capable of doing this. Uh, won't necessarily do it all the time, but it will, will, get, will provide me the confidence that I can do if I, if I need to. All right. Um, if you want further information and photos on uh, on this walk, 
uh, go through and have a look on the Australian Heiko uh, website. Uh, and I've got the, the detailed uh, 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 write-up from the day, including all the photos to see what it's like. Um, as I said, the views the views from Mount Bimbury are pretty good. Um, one of the things I haven't mentioned is it, it really is, I really do like walking in wilderness areas, um, knowing that there is no one else around, particularly on the day that I did it. Um, the week between Christmas and New Year's, there's actually quite a reasonable number of people on that trail. Uh, so you'll, you'll come across other people. Whereas, as I said, day before Christmas, really good time to do it because everyone's out Christmas shopping. Uh, but it gives you a chance to actually be in an area and just not see anybody. And that's, that's, that's really a rarity these days um, when most of the walks we tend to do, um, you'll always tend to come across people, if not that many of them. Okay, hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, as mentioned uh, uh, at the end of last year, we're now, as well as being on iTunes, we're also available on Stitcher Radio. And the podcast can also be downloaded from the website itself. Um, if you have a t- an opportunity, please go through and rate us on iTunes and Stitcher just to help us get the message out there that we're, we're out and about. Um, next week will be the last of our podcasts for February. Um, and we're actually going through after that and doing uh, a trip to on the Overland track in Tasmania. Uh, so we'll be going through and recording that. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye for now.